Today is Friday, September 30th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Hurricane Ian turns into a tropical storm, but it also turned deadly. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Go ahead, subscribe, give us a rating, share it with a friend, all the things you know what to do. Let's get through the crazy news of the day, news of the cray, we like to call it. Joining me as always to get through it on this Friday, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faithwire. What's going on, Billy? Well, we're missing Hurricane Trey today. <laughs> we don't have Trey with us. He's, no. He's out and about. Yes, and thank yes. And I did not send him into into <laughs> to do hurricane footage. That always just makes me shake my head when you see the the uh person have to stand in the wind like go to the thing and report go to the storm but you don't have to go out into the street while things are flying by like i don't go into the eye of the storm right you don't don't have no you don't have to do that so and also we're going to be talking about um generosity we're called to be generous as christians but are we living up to the task there's some new research showing uh, some answers to that question and on the main thing just how bad was the learning gap caused by shutting down schools during covid and John Stolness dives into the consequences we're now seeing from those decisions and also looks at how parents can catch up. So we'll get into all that and more. But first, we're going to go through the news in 90 seconds. And sharks were seen swimming in the streets. Videos showed a door in Naples blown from the water. Large boats were pushed around like toys. Houses seen floating away. These are the scenes that Hurricane Ian brought as it smashed into florida this week Uh, it also just dumped uh, as much as a foot of rain on some cities as it traveled across florida then and flash flooding still a concern as it's expected to now drop at least 30 inches of rain in some areas and the wife of pro-life activist mark hawk ryan marie she made her first appearance on tv on fox news last night with tucker carlson and saying the rate of her house was crazy as there were 20-plus heavily armed agents in her fr- covering her front yard. She had a couple pictures. You could see the riot shields and things like that. So uh, you can read about those stories and more over at CBNnews.com. Obviously, the big story this week, Billy, this storm, and just the images are coming out are just mind-blowing, some of these images, and you just see it, it's just sad. Well, and it's in these moments that we think about you know truth and what matters when we go through difficult things like that. When you see those images, it reminds you that you know we're so consumed with the day-to-day, but what really matters, right? Life yeah. can change in an instant, which for so many people right now in Florida, they're dealing with that, and they're going to have to pick up the pieces. So a lot, a lot to pray for there. Yeah, and we've also seen, you reported on this, Billy, yesterday, people already being heroes, good Samaritans, looking out for one another. A group of uh, young men saved a an elderly man who was trapped in his car. The, the surge just had must have come up quickly on them. He was just stuck in his car and looked like he was in shock, and he almost certainly would have drowned if these young men weren't there and acted to get him out of the car. So we are, and I'm sure we're only going to see more stories like that. Governor DeSantis said help is on the way. People are stranded. Um, Because remember, the storm took a turn kind of at the last minute when it was, you know, after Cuba and people in southern Florida didn't think they were going to get hit with it. But it took a sudden, unexpected turn. And so a lot of people didn't have time to evacuate out. And they just had to hunker down and hope for the best. And man, this storm surge is just really devastating. And it could pick up back into a hurricane as it's over the uh, Atlantic right now and heading back towards shore. So we'll continue to pray uh, for that storm that it that it just hopefully the damage is 
is minimal or not as bad as it could be because it's uh, really devastating scenes out there. So, all right. Well, we're going to go into our next story here. And Barna's got a new survey out about generosity. I have my suspicions, Billy, but what did Barna find here? Well, you know, not not too shockingly, because we know this is believers, once right. again, the benefits of Christianity play out in a survey. But specifically what they found, and this is really interesting, when we talk about generosity, one of the measures that they were looking for is whether or not you've experienced as an individual extraordinary generosity, something that stands out in your mind. And when they went out and asked practicing Christians, people who are actually not just saying they're Christians, but they practice it, 65% of practicing Christians said that they have directly experienced someone else's extraordinary generosity. What I found so tragic and really interesting was that only 46% of American adults, you know, in general, more broadly said the same thing. So you had this disconnect. I mean, that's a substantial disconnect where 65% of Christians have experienced this. And, you know, that that's not surprising for a variety of reasons. But the other measure was that 43% of American adults said that they had not experienced extraordinary generosity. Only 29% of practicing Christians said the same. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking about that and it's, and so Christians experiencing it, does that mean they're experience, experiencing it, it within their own communities so that the, it's other Christians? How are they attributing that to Christians being generous when they're, when it's like gauging what they're receiving? Yeah, you know, with these studies, you have to try to read between the lines. What I think is so interesting on this one is that if you're in a church, and that's why I love the fact that they asked about being the recipient. So yeah. often when somebody asks, you know, when's the last time you donated to charity? You're not trying to lie, but a lot of times you're like, oh, last week, but it was <laughs> right. a month ago, right? So, so the thing with this is it's about what you've received. And Christians are taught to obviously love God, love others. You know, being a member of a church, you know that when something happens, people step up to the plate, they show radical generosity to one another. So the fact that more Christians are saying that, it makes sense. Christianity is clearly, now we'd love to see that number be 100% and not yeah. just in the 60s, but the fact is the general public, less than half of them, fewer than half are saying they've experienced that, whereas the majority of Christians have in their churches, we would assume, and in their communities. Yeah, so... What benefits does Christianity offer to givers and recipients alike, do you think? Yeah, I think if you're learning, and that's, again, why I love this measure, if you're learning how to be generous by watching other people do things for you, it shows you a blueprint of what to do for others. So you've mm. got the calling, you know, Jesus says, love God, love others, and scripture talks about feeding your enemies, my goodness, right? So we should, of course, be helping those around us. When it happens to us, this is why, like, when somebody pays for your coffee, I don't know if this has happened to you, right? You're paying it forward. They pay for your coffee. You pull up. You're shocked. And then you pay for somebody else's coffee, right? This is sort of what we do as human beings. But but in the church, having that experience, I think, helps us return that and live that out. So, I mean, there's so many benefits to that. In, in such a graceless society, yeah. it's heartbreaking that 40-some-odd percent you know, say that they've had that happen. Yeah, it's interesting because I think people know, okay, generosity is good. They know it's a good thing. But um, if you look at kind of the worldviews that are being taught, we'll talk about this a lot on the podcast, but um, it, you know, when you, when you look at the two competing worldviews, one is survival of the fittest, one is, and, and so you see a lot of that in society. Right. You, you see yeah. people who are unhinged and, you know, wh why do you go in looting, looting stores? 
Why do you go in uh, doing any sort of criminal activity or taking something that's not yours, any form of stealing? Um, it's yeah. because we are very self-focused. So it is it is actually not instinctive for us to be generous. And so the scri- scripture obviously teaches us that. And so it's interesting to me that, you know, you're seeing these results pan out because I do think society paints one, oh, they're doing well for themselves. And all the advertising is always aimed at um, what's what can you get for you? What can you get for you? You need this. You need that. So uh, to see, you know, Christians setting the standard here, I think is a good thing. Yeah, it's the gospel of the self, which is fraudulent versus the gospel. And I think that to your point, when it's the gospel of the self, it's all about you. And, And again, that's damaging for everybody, not just for you as a person, but you're then not paying it forward to somebody else. You're not then serving them. So yeah, there's a lot, there's really a lot to unpack there. And I'm actually excited to see what else Barna comes out with. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be looking forward to any updates on that. If you want to read more on it, head on over to faithwire.com. And you can see that story there from Billy over there. Thanks for bringing that one, Billy. All right, that leads us into our main thing for today. And just how bad was that learning gap caused by shutting down schools during COVID? I mean, kids in the prime learning years of their lives were wearing masks on a computer screen, looking at the screen, trying to learn as their parents are trying to juggle their work and then also do the school at the same time. So how devastating was that? And how can parents catch up and try to make up that gap? CBN's John Stoltness talked with Nat Malkus from AEI, whose focus is education. They talked about that learning gap and um, also the options that can help students and parents catch up. That's on today's main thing. The pandemic affected a lot of people negatively here in the U.S. and around the world, but here in America, perhaps no one more than children, and especially when it comes to the learning gap that has occurred over the last couple of years as schools shut down due to COVID restrictions. So joining me to talk a little bit about what that has done and what we might be able to do to correct the issue is Nat Malkus. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and he's the deputy director of its education policy studies. Nat, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great, John. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to talk to you because I think this is a really important issue. Obviously, we all care about our children. Uh, If you look at the polling for the midterms, obviously, education is one of, as always, the most important issues that people care about. And we're here getting, we're speaking in late September, early October. So school has been back in session for a little over a month now. And in almost all cases, students are finally back in the classroom. But the time away from the classroom caused many, if not most, students to fall behind. So understanding that there are many different school districts, many different states, and students have different abilities, how far behind are kids today on average? John, that's a tough question, largely because kids keep learning, right? It's a moving target. Yeah. So, uh, you know, most of the data on where they are now is still in some testing booklet that hasn't come out yet. But from what we know over the past two years, there was a really big drop in the first year of the pandemic. That's when we had the the long-term closures over much of the country. And kids lost, you know, two, three, up to five months of learning. But that wasn't constant across districts. Um, You know, we are are just getting uh, some of these data and it's just coming in clear. And we're also seeing something of a bounce back now in most states. But the way you want to think about this is students lost months and months of data and they've caught, uh, uh, not of data, of, uh, of learning, 
And they've caught up part of the way, but they have a long way to go. So there are obviously a lot of political reasons why different states and different school districts made the decisions that they made. A lot of a lot of them on the plus side, a lot of them on the negative side. And one of the points that you made in a recent op-ed just before the start of the school year was that neither red states nor blue states were terribly flexible in dealing with schools and COVID. Can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, you know, what we'd like to see, right, when you have a pandemic is that the measures schools take, especially ones that are going to have deleterious effects on students like closing schools or extended mask mandates, that you would do those things when the pandemic threat was high and then you would take them down when the threat sort of went away. Well, uh, in tracking uh, school closures during the first full pandemic year and mask mandates last year, I had hoped that I would see differences over time relative to the threat. What we actually saw was big political differences where school districts that uh, were in places that voted for Joe Biden tended to be closed longer. They tended to mask longer, or have mask mandates longer. And the, the opposite was true for Trump districts. But for the most part, those weren't very responsive to changing COVID threat They sort of set those policies up at the beginning of the year, and they kind of stuck to them no matter what was happening. So how are schools dealing with COVID-19 now? Because I think most people look at it it as endemic, and we've seen blue states um, reduce their restrictions, if not eliminate them altogether in, in many different cases. So what's the new normal right now in schools for kids? Well, John, you hit it right on the head. As far as the new normal, well, it's not so new everywhere. In some places, um, and, and this is disproportionately, you know, red state, uh, red states and red, red districts, non-urban districts, relatively smaller ones, uh, you know, they'll tell you we've been kind of back to normal for, you know, 14, 15 months, even longer. Um, in a lot of the more sort of what I would call COVID cautious communities, um, they had a, a, a still a pretty disrupted school year last year. And so they're just now kind of catching up with uh, big swaths of the country that have sort of gone back to treating COVID like it's endemic. Now, uh, there's certainly less mask mandates now. There's just a handful of districts where those are in place across the country. And um, even things like, uh, and certainly COVID testing is lower, but even things like um, contact tracing um, have really come to a a low ebb now. So in much of the country, things are more or less back to normal when it comes to mitigation efforts. So Nat, are school districts realizing that students have fallen behind? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that school districts realize it. The question is, uh, the yes but here, is whether they're actually connecting the students that need it to these offerings. And this is tough, right? So there are school districts, they have a lot of federal money to come up with tutoring programs or extended day programs, whatever they can come up with to help students do better. But we know that students that were lower performing before the pandemic have had the greatest slides. And so I think that what we really should be asking is whether school districts and school buildings and teachers are having the tough conversations with the parents who need to realize that their kids do need to catch up. They are not all right. And if those conversations aren't happening, 
I'm not sure that district sort of nebulous efforts to try and offer services are actually going to hit pay dirt. You've mentioned teachers just a second ago, and when we think about the difficulties that schools have had uh, over these uh, last couple of years, um, we talk about children a lot, but it's also been difficult for teachers. I know teachers have struggled with online learning and and certainly with mask mandates in in many different districts. So what kind of challenges are teachers facing now as they try to get children caught up who need to be caught up? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, certainly required that we realize how bumpy a road it's been for teachers. It has been tough and it has disrupted a lot of the rhythms of schooling, the things that we just take for granted. I mean, you don't even have to get into uh, schoolwork. You can think about kids who haven't been in school for a couple of years and are in second or third grade and need to learn how to stand in line. These are These are tough things to catch up on. Um, I, I think that a lot of those rhythms of schooling have been difficult on teachers. Yes, there are some shortages in some places, but even aside from those shortages, last year we saw teacher absenteeism was high, uh, substitute teacher demand was high and, and hard to meet. And then in terms of student behavior, we saw um, high percentages of schools reporting. I mean, I'm talking 80% of schools saying because of the pandemic, student behavior, student attendance, a number of these, again, habits of, of good, normal schooling uh, are really on the ropes. So uh, teachers this year are really rebuilding those habits, and that's a, a, a tough road. So what kinds of real solutions can we put in place to help bridge any learning gap or any, any knowledge gap that might be there from the two years of COVID-19? Yeah, John, I'll, I'll be honest, and this is a little embarrassing. We don't really know. We, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of money. We've done a lot of programs as as a nation and as public schools and private schools, um, and there is no silver bullet for this. It's not just something where you flip a switch or spend some more money. Look, we've spent the money, and. Um, the question, and there's questions about how school districts are spending the uh, close to $200 billion that the federal government gave in COVID relief. Uh, there's a couple of things to think about. One is you can go for big bore solutions. This would be, let's extend the school year for a couple of years, right? A lot more classroom learning time. Let's keep kids an extra hour a day. The problem is, is that those aren't very popular. So you can go with big bore solutions, but if locals don't want it, if parents don't want it, that can be sort of difficult to pull off. And then the other question is whether we know how to add that time to advantage um, in schools. There are more targeted solutions. Tutoring has been shown to work. Um, we, we can we can think of other things that are in, uh, sort of innovative solutions that target kids that are really behind. The question is, usually we target those at a small subgroup of kids. And after the pandemic, the target group is way bigger than it's been before. Hmm. A lot of research needs to be done now as it's going on to figure out what will work and what helps catch kids up. And we're not used to taking research and turning that around into programs in the timeline that we need to. So I wish I knew, but time's going to have to tell. 
Yeah, and uh, it's not going to be a quick process as you're as you're intimating right there. So um, certainly an issue everybody cares about here in this country. Uh, again, with the midterms here, it's always at the top of the list of, of priorities for for Americans when they're heading to the polls. And uh, for people who want to be more educated and, and know what you're working on at AEI, where can they go to find your work, Nat? Yeah, you can uh, you can look uh, just search for education at AEI.org and for all the work that we've done tracking what districts have done uh, during the pandemic as far as closures and masking and enrollment losses. There's a ton of data at uh, returntolearntracker.net. Well, Nat Malkus, thank you so much for taking some time. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, John. All right, John, Nat, thank you so much for that information, that conversation there. Appreciate that. That leaves us with time for one last thing here. And Billy, we're going to look at uh, James too. I, I would imagine this is one. Do you have this verse up on a on a wall somewhere? I, I don't, but Just, I probably should yeah. because it's one of the most it's one of the most earth shattering ones, I think, in terms of you know, you're not saved because of your works. Right. right? But when you are saved and you are a Christian, you know, you're going to have good works, right? Faith without works is dead. But when you look at this, it, it's such a simple verse. It says you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Like basically, uh, great. You believe in God. You're saying you believe these things. But if I'm not seeing evidence of that, guess what? The demons believe it too. So yeah. Well, I mean, look at at the time. You know, when Jesus, you know, ta- heals the demon possessed man, and the demon, you know, we, you know, go. He sends him into the swine. They go running in. They know who Jesus is. So, and they they tremble at him. They're not. Are you know? They they obviously are almost submissive to him in a way because they ask permission. Like when you read the text, like they're like, what are you going to do to us? You know? Um, and so, yeah, the demons definitely believe in Jesus. So I think that indication there, aside from the works is just that you have to do more than just believe. I think it's repentance of our sins. And then also, yeah, you, you need to see those works. That's a result of our salvation, not um, it doesn't produce our salvation. It's resulting from our salvation. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a striking verse, that's for sure. It is. It is. Faith apart from works is useless. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. But, yeah, it's, it's the fruit of our, of our belief, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's where we're going to leave it on this Friday. Um, simple, a simple verse for you to just marinate on over the weekend. Um, we'll leave it there. <laughs> but we'll be praying for everyone in the midst of the storm here. Uh, Hurricane Ian or Tropical Storm Ian as it approaches landfall now. So continue to pray there. And uh, we will see you back here, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. See you back here on Monday. God bless. Have a great weekend.